You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Liz Migliaccio. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. We Just right before we started recording. I just have to, because I'm so yeah, excited about it. it. I have to keep on talking. <laughs> so right before we started recording. Uh, 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 we were talking about Liz's natural sense of direction inherited from learning basic sailing from your dad. Yeah. So you can find in almost any environment you can find South Liz. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to paint a picture for you all here. We're recording this in, in studio J at the magnet training center, 10th floor. Liz just pointed right behind. So I'm, my back is to the window. Liz is facing the window and she just pointed right behind <laughs> herself and told me that South. Yep. I have no idea if that's true, but I believe it. And I mean, that's the worst true. part. I have no idea if it's true. We're on a grid of Manhattan. I grew up here. It's so easy when you're on the grid of Manhattan. It's almost like I feel like a fool, like being like, okay, well, I know that that way is where the Statue of Liberty is and yeah. that way is north. Yeah. And the Statue of Liberty is south from us. Liz, I am it's so fun. jealous of this. <laughs> it's fun. Holy cow. <laughs> I, it, being lost is one of like my deepest fears. Oh, yeah. Because I get lost so easily. I get turned around constantly. Is it the thing where like you get off the subway and you're just you're like, which way do I start to turn? Yes. Yeah. It'll take me sometimes like two minutes to sort it out. And I, I seem to have an unerring instinct for going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Whenever I go to a new neighborhood, I go the wrong way every time. It's usually so like, yeah, that one takes like sometimes uh, there was always the B train. Uh, I would if I took the B train up to like 57th Street yeah. uh, to get off when I was going to work. Uh, I That one would always get me because I would always walk up the wrong staircase and always get off kind of on Broadway versus seventh. I think yeah. when I wanted to get off on seventh, but for some reason I could never get off the wrong, the right. I never knew which staircase was the right one. Mm. And it was like, that's just like the one thing where I'm like, Oh, that's, that's just going to be my kryptonite. <laughs> I do that all the time. When I go down to like the NYU area, mm -hmm. like on eighth street, I always get off on the wrong yeah. side of the subway. My, my problem is I, I, I think in terms of landmarks, mm -hmm. so it's all static pictures in my yeah. head. So if I'm faced the wrong way and I don't have the landmark to look at from the way I'm used to, I'm just completely baffled. Like, yeah. like your, your ability to remember the steps you took to get somewhere. Megan has this too. Yeah. Megan can remember how she got anywhere. Mm -hmm. I, that's impossible to See, me. It's for me. It's like, I also remember what I'm looking at constantly yeah. and like, uh, I'm a visual person through and through. And so when I would, uh, like I would get car sick and whenever I would drive, I would lie down in the backseat of the car yeah. and I would look at the treetops passing by and I could always tell where we were on the route home based on the treetops, even in the uh, winter, fall, I guess the trees were changing. I just knew it by the season because it was visual and like directions for me to get around in Rhode Island were always, oh, we're going to turn at the, you know, the, the Dell's Lemonade at this particular stop. Yeah. This is where a baseball field is. If those things were to be taken away, it would probably trip me up a little bit, but yeah. I would still get to be able to figure it out, I think. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I read a book, um on uh, like survival in the woods recently. Mm -hmm. And, and there's um, the guy who wrote it was talking about having spent a weekend at this, at this um, like survival school for kids in Vermont, mm -hmm. where Vermont. this uh, Vermont is the greatest yeah. state. The, so this, this guy who runs the camp will take these kids into the woods for a weekend mm -hmm. and they basically are on their own and he teaches them how to like think like an animal and how mm -hmm. to, how to listen very closely to things. But he teaches exactly that of, how to find these natural landmarks. His mm. method is he, he'll kind of like teach them to like tell stories about the things that they yeah. notice along the way. And you remember the sequence of where you've been by remembering the story. It's totally, that's exactly, I think how kids should learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a, it makes perfect. My uh, sister's fiance knows he, cause he, I think for similar reasons, like he grew up uh, in the wilderness, like, or he grew up, uh, they have a house in Vermont actually. And they would go into the woods and they would hike and he can tell you like mountaintops, like uh, exactly what mountain it is, but looking at the top. Yeah. I'm like, that's nuts. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, story, like putting any story to anything. That's how I learned growing up too. I was like very bad at learning. But if I put it to a story, if there was like a music behind it, mm-hmm. I learned how to spell my last name to the Mickey Mouse theme song. I was 12. That was yeah. like a little too old to learn how to learn my last name. Is that true? Yeah. I was very, yeah. Migliaccio is not easy to spell. No, it's not. No. It's, it's, I can spell it now, but uh, my mom taught me with like a Mickey Mouse theme song and like wow. claps. Yeah. Your, your name is like one of the first things that, because it's just so... Yeah. I mean, my memory of being very young, I don't know if this is true of all kids, but I assume it's true of most Mm -hmm. kids is like just being fascinated with my own identity. Yeah. So like your name is such like a precious thing. It's like one of the first things that really, that is really a a strong presence for you. It boggled. Like I, if, should I ever like get married? I'm no, I don't think I'm taking the last name Yeah. because it's like Migliaccio is it's me. That's Migliaccio. Yeah. It's very hard to, I think that there is something to, to, uh, um, I don't know, like your your name, there is something wrapped up in a name. Yeah. It, it leaves like an indelible impression on, on kind of who you are. It's tough to take that away from somebody. Totally. And yeah. like you get nicknames from it and like though, like that kind of determines like where you grew up. Like people at home call me Migs, you know, people here don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I can know where I am too on based on like how you're pronouncing my name or my last name. It's yeah, your identity is your name. <laughs> To go back for a second to Vermont mm. and how to learn things properly. Kids need to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Constantly. That's, I was a very bad student. Yeah. Very bad. And like, but mostly cause I, I actually was in special education mm. and uh, I was kind of placed there and then left to my own devices, which were like, you don't believe in me. I don't believe in me either. I'm going to go outside. Mm-hmm. I spent most of my after school outside. I would ride my bike to a graveyard and like walk around there. I'd walk on the bike path and uh, we had like these, like this uh, brickyard pond and I would, there was a tree that dipped and I would just sit on the tree mm. like by the water and like, st- like stick my feet in the water and stuff. And just like that would, I would just play outside. I had a, a my Nana had bought me, bought the kid, my sisters and I had this like beautiful playground in the backyard and uh, just like lived there. It was like a little tree house yeah. kind of thing. And it was just the most amazing thing. So I was barely ever inside. It's kind of how it should be, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. I like even now today, like I'm 28 years old and I'm still constantly trying to find my way outside. Yeah. I do not like being inside. Yeah. I think there's a, uh, uh, I have like very strong opinions about this. I don't mm-hmm. mean this to sound disrespectful to, um, teachers listening to this cause I have nothing but the highest respect for, mm-hmm. for teachers. But I, I have, um, I think our, our, the, the, the foundation of how we educate people is so completely yeah. backwards and mentally crippling mm-hmm. and leads to lifelong problems with people who just like never learned how to like, yeah, how to, uh, uh never learned how to learn properly. You got to be out there like touching trees and dirt yeah. and stuff. Also like every single person has a different way of learning. Yeah. And also, and anyone is a teacher, like yeah. a teacher doesn't have to be somebody who's like gone to school to become a teacher and then is a teacher because they were your second, second grade, third grade teacher. Yeah. Anybody is a teacher, you know, a friend is a teacher because they might give you advice on a certain thing. And that's something you're like, I've taken that away and grown from it. So like anything that like changes your life a little bit or influences you, I think as a teacher, Um, but students for sure growing up have like, there's thousands of different learning styles. 
And uh, it's hard because like when you have a bunch of students in a classroom, you can't cater to each one's particular unique style. Uh, But there are definitely, you know, groupings that you can do that like help. Like there are kids who need to learn by being outside, being Mm -hmm. told stories, Mm -hmm. uh, touching things, being visual. Um, Like I always say, if I had learned how to cook in a science class, I probably would know science Mm -hmm. because it's very related. And now I'm like, oh, I kind of like science because I really like to cook. Right. Or uh, like I... I, math is actually, again, with cooking too, like math is very involved in cooking and being able to take subjects that you need to learn as a kid and bring them in different ways of learning them and teaching them, I think is how everyone is different. I would have learned so much more, I think. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, on the one hand, it's always tough to look back and say, if only things had yeah. been this way, because it's the fact that things were the way that they were that led you mm-hmm. to, to who you are right now. But- that being said, uh, um, a person's natural inborn curiosity mm-hmm. needs to be guided and channeled by knowledgeable adults. Yeah. And your own natural inborn curiosity is going to teach you uh, to grasp things like math and mm-hmm. um, and physical education and okay. chemistry. And it's not going to be because you're learning this, this abstract subject mm-hmm. that you have to learn in order to not be punished or humiliated in front of your peers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, I mean, that was my, and I was a decent student, but that yeah. was certainly as I look back on education and mm-hmm. all it is, is a, a, an ongoing feeling of humiliation, <laughs> wanting to not be in trouble. Yep. Um, and just feeling like miserable all yeah. the time. Sometimes it's funny you say like not wanting to be in trouble like that. I kind of relate to that a lot. Uh, I would do things to kind of rebel. Yeah but then was always afraid of being in trouble. So I'd either admit to the thing that I had done wrong, uh-huh. like immediately without even being caught. Or I would just like, um, like then try to be super empathetic and sweet to like, uh, to like fix it in a sort of way without telling them if I was afraid of getting in trouble. Like what, what would you do? I think the biggest, like, um, I, so I, I used to, there was like a, an old vending machine behind our school and it was, thrown out and it was going to be thrown out. And I was with one of my friends and we were just like being rebellious and we were skipping lacrosse practice because mm-hmm. we were so badass. Um, and it was like sort of broken and we decided to like rip it apart. And so we kind of, I guess like vandalized the vending machine. And then immediately I was like, what if this vending machine wasn't broken? And what if like we need to like fix it? And so I was pretty good friends with my vice principal because I actually got sent there a lot. He was a disciplinarian yeah. and it was always for really silly and stupid things. But I went to him and I was like, so I just did this. I didn't know. I just wanted to apologize in case it was something that you needed. (laughs) Um, And he like, he liked me a lot. We were actually pretty, like I would, he would call me into his office to just like chat sometimes. Um, And so he was just like, okay, Liz, like that, that wasn't something we needed, but like, dude, did you really need to do that? (laughs) I actually, I mean, I would make the argument for uh, um, there being kind of like a twin, a a, a twin side, but, between like minor rebelliousness mm-hmm. and also like a sense of like accountability and responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like they need to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. The person who's like constantly needs to rebel. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's like a dead giveaway that there's like a pain there or something mm-hmm. that, that is crying out for sure. But there's also like, I remember growing up the people who were chronically responsible. I hated them so much. <laughs> there was just like yeah. this like weird feeling of like inhuman insincerity. Yeah. And that's obviously like a gross judgment mm-hmm. call, but like o- always this feeling of like, that's not the real you either. <laughs> You're half a human being. Right. 
so like to me it having that balance of being able to like vent when you need to vent right. by committing these like random acts of yeah. rebellion but then also <laughs> holding yourself accountable yeah. that's like the whole person <laughs> the whole person is just like trying to st- i'm like trying to find my identity you know yeah <laughs> that's so funny but it's, it's also it's it's super important that you like developing a sense of accountability and and, mm-hmm. and community and responsibility is like essential yeah. I, I mean i don't know how you would argue that mm-hmm. uh, um but it's also like very essential that you learn how to like bear your teeth when you have to, too. Like that part of you that like random small acts of destruction or, or (laughs) cutting classes or like any, any, anything that gives you a little bit more of like a felt sense of, of your own. It's important a person learn how to say no to things as much as it's important that a person learns how to be like kind and decent to other people too. Yeah. I would, uh, my mom had vertigo my senior year and I didn't have a car. So I had to drive her to work, but that meant that I got her car. And so I'm like, that meant that I could leave if I wanted. I had like, again, I was in special ed and they had me in four study halls and like no real classes. And I was just kind of like over it. And so I would skip my last class or like two classes before the end of the day because it was, I was like, oh, it's the end of the day and I'll skip. And I would always like go and like buy my sister and I movie tickets or something. <laughs> like it was like, I'm going to do this bad thing, but then like do, like I said, like do something nice to like make up for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was, yeah, I would, I would skip a couple classes too. It was pretty fun. Well, it sounds like you would have to. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, even... I, don't know. I can, I can think of, I can count on one hand, the number of teachers who I had in, in school who yeah. I would consider were like, I would go above and beyond for them. Yeah. And that's the thing with the teacher. There's always a teacher, yeah. someone who like really pushes you. Yeah. For the most part though, it's just people trying to get through their jobs and, and being, <laughs> being a grown up, you look at them and you say, well, I can understand that. Yeah. But being a kid, you can't help, but kind of see in this resentment mm-hmm. of we're all victims of this system. Yeah. As a kid, you don't really know that, but mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the reality. We're all victims of this system. That's kind of like, uh, um, about mentally restricting us and, and, and limiting our curiosity and basically, uh, conditioning us to accept a certain amount of obedience and boredom with our lives. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. prepare us to be cogs and in, in some hideous machine. Right. And you just resent it. A classroom is a place where you just sit bored and resentful. Yeah. And, and doodle and doodle and <laughs> dick around. Yeah. So like cutting classes makes a shitload of sense. Right. Cause then you get to explore a little bit more outside of it as it should be. Right. It, I mean, uh, I feel very strongly about this as an improv teacher. Mm-hmm. I, uh, um, I feel it's very important to create an environment, to tend to the environment more than the students, if that makes sense. Totally. Because I don't know any individual's path and I don't know what anybody needs. Mm -hmm. And I like, I know for a fact that like for me, when I was learning improv, um, it was like two or three things that Armando said that opened me up completely. They were like the life changing things. Yeah. But I know talking to other people that they heard the same things from Armando and and didn't make a difference. Right. It's not necessarily what someone is saying to you. Mm -hmm. It's, who's doing the saying, who you are at the moment that they're saying yeah. it. It, it. You know what I mean? Like it, there's an element of like timing and luck that you can't control. For sure. And like, that'll change. Like, per, like perhaps like if, you know, like at, at, yeah, the timing and luck thing, I think is exactly the correct wording for that. Because I mean, with improv, my like improv journey started in college mm-hmm. and I did all five levels at improv Boston and I did some at improv asylum, but improv did not click with me then. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was like in a very weird place in my life and I was focusing on other things and like other, I, all I wanted was to do comedy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my life was kind of pulling me in other directions and like my responsibilities were belonging to like my family at the time who needed it. 
And uh, so I like didn't focus on improv uh, the way that I wanted to. And all I wanted it from it was to be like funny. Mm-hmm. And so I did like four years of improv there and I never count it. And like when people ask me how long I've been doing improv, I don't count it because uh, I don't think it, it, it didn't really click. And then I did two years of uh, UCB when I moved to New York and then I stopped for two years mm-hmm. and then I didn't do improv. And then I found the magnet, but, um, and that's when I think like the timing of your life, the teachers that you've had, like the community that you build, um, it sort of all clicked then yeah. I like needed it there. I found it for different reasons. It wasn't because I wanted to be funny. It was because I wanted to be in a community belong yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And like, that's what happened. And, uh, like I found it, I was at like working at Colbert report at the time and it was like, I was surrounded by funny all the time. And I wanted, like I like had given up on improv and I was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. And, uh, James, uh, at the time he took level one and I went to see a show and I was like, they look like they're actually having fun mm-hmm. <laughs> versus like the shows that I did at improv Boston where I like was, didn't have fun. I was like, this wasn't fun. I'm not funny. Like that kind of thing. And yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to give it a shot. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> That's interesting. It, like it, it, so to me, that's sort of similar to like learning chemistry by cooking mm-hmm. that sometimes like you can end up, I, there's only so many improv notes out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's not a hell of a lot to say about improv on mm-hmm. the one hand. And then on the other hand, it's like a bottomless topic and you can keep on going forever. That's true of anything that you're passionate about. Yeah. But like, there's only so many notes and combinations of notes you're going to be getting from anybody. Mm-hmm. But there is this thing of like, Sometimes it, you know, all I want is to be funny or all I want is to get better or all I want Mm -hmm. is to like master this thing or whatever it is. And it's like, you're getting all the notes, but they're not taking, they're not taking root. The seeds are just like dying in the dirt. And then something as simple as like, well, uh, now I'm in a place in my life where I need community Mm -hmm. and noticing that the appeal has less to do with your own kind of personal issues of what you want to accomplish and more to do with, well, this need for community is sort of an attractive thing that pulls me in. Yeah. And then you kind of find that as like a secondary thing Mm -hmm. that, that connecting with community opens up this channel where suddenly all these different lessons and notes can begin to take root and blossom. And suddenly this stuff makes sense to you. And then like also the notes and the stuff are coming from not only your teachers, but also the people that you play with. Right. Like going to Walter's after it's like not a note because they're not like telling you it as a note, but it's the conversation. And then it clicks with you maybe there. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I think that's kind of uh, like part of the learning process that with improv, it's like, we are like my closest friends are from this community and it's, we, you know, talk about improv constantly, (laughs) you know, you can't go like too long without talking, without mentioning improv. Yeah. Those are when like actual things click sometimes, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, I always think of it as like, I think of like openings in Wayne Harold as, mm-hmm. as kind of like the the beginning where you're kind of like cross fertilizing each other's minds a little bit. Yeah. Like the beginning of group mind has to do with this cross fertilization and, and we're kind of trading what we know about stuff and mm-hmm. kind of tilling the soil a little bit and, and, and planting what we have. And then the rest of the piece becomes the opportunity to see what grows and kind of, you sort of like tend to the garden as it's growing a little bit. Um, but even outside of the realm of like the actual show that you're doing, I think that that's very true of the community of improvisers Mm -hmm. that you're constantly. And one of the things that's so thrilling about improv, apart from it just being really like a fun group of people, more or less. Yeah is you constantly feel stimulated by everybody. You constantly feel like your mind is being fertilized by other people's ideas on Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, it's true. You were like, uh, I mean, 
you never get so bit heavy as when you're with a bunch of improvisers. Yeah. You know, like you know, have a bunch of people over for dinner, you're hanging out and you realize when like everyone leaves, you're like, this was all bits. <laughs> have you ever found yourself like among a room full of non-improvisers and you suddenly <laughs> realize what a shitty sense of humor so many people yep. have? You mm-hmm. kind of like, it's like a fish swimming in water, like doesn't water the, doesn't notice the water that it's swimming in. Yeah. You kind of don't realize how sharp and brilliant yeah. Uh, 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 how how accustomed you've become to like sharp brilliance all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying this to like knock other people, but you, you kind of find like <laughs> okay. some people are like so tone deaf when it comes to yeah. what's funny about something or, or, or so incapable of understanding a bit. Yeah. It's a little like unnerving sometimes. Like, yeah. Oh my God, man. Just have like, just laugh a little, have a sense of humor or, or, or yeah. Or, or, or add on <laughs> or, or add on. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you say something that's like could not be more sarcastic and ironic, right? And 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 like a person just like doesn't know how to respond to you at all. You're like, come on, yeah, man, play along, right? Like, just make a joke back. Yeah. <laughs> it's always funny when like people like if I, I'm like so used to being around like very funny people that like we make each other laugh and it's very like back and forth. Where if you are around a group of people who are like that and you say something and like like you get a bigger response than you would have with anybody else, and you're just like, oh, that wasn't actually that funny yeah i didn't i didn't mean to be funny there i wasn't making a joke i was merely just responding reacting (laughs) like you know totally so then you're like okay i guess i guess that's a joke now (laughs) i have a a broader theory about uh improvisers and non-improvisers but i'll get to it later i want to see if it fits into our conversation Uh, hopefully it does hopefully (laughs) hopefully it does too i want to talk about community because that that had you had mentioned community before and and said what an important part community wasn't in getting you evolved and in, mm-hmm. and in being the, yeah. the thing about improv. So, so I don't know. I don't have a question. Okay. Yeah. Um, I the community is so important. Like, I, I guess it goes back again. Like if you, I tend to like often think about my past and how that means my present is, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing, but that's tends to be what I do. How can you not? Exactly. Right. That's, you know, your past, you're in your present and who knows what's happening in the future. So we'll think yeah. about that later. Sure. Um, but, uh, like growing up, I didn't, I never like, I, was part of a bunch of different things, trying to find a, like an identity, I guess. Um, I had a twin sister who was very much rooted in like my identity and who was essentially my community. And then college was a thing <laughs> again. And mm-hmm. that, and then I, uh, I didn't really like feel like completely like I belonged in a place until I found improv very uh, honestly and realizing what that meant as like a community of people, uh, like what that means to like have friends, to be open to new friendships, to be open to new people who you can like sit at Walters or Haymaker or in the training center while you're waiting for class to start and realize that you've gotten so much deeper with this person in 10 minutes than you've gotten like with anybody that you like spent like six years of your life with before. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a cool thing. And, um, it's, yeah, I I didn't have that before. And now I'm like, find myself like really constantly trying to be in part of communities and having it be like a natural thing, which is like really neat. Mm -hmm. Um, like I just got certified in yoga and I like developed a whole nother community over there. And it's kind of cool to just feel like you bring something to a certain group of people and those people certainly bring something to you. Mm-hmm. And that like it with that, like you see like a circle close and that it keeps going. And it's pretty, it's just like a really like warming, satisfying thing that is like not a feeling that is a fleeting. It's just something that constantly builds you makes you want to keep going, keep like helping them, keep being a part of it. 
it's the flowers that are growing, you know? Yeah. It's nice. Everyone's like little minds. Everyone's so different. And that's so wonderful. There. So I'm going to take a circuitous uh, route back to this topic. I what think. does circuitous mean? That's a pretty impressive word. Oh, sorry. No, no, I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the long way. Okay. Well, circuitous sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, twisty and windy, but eventually it gets you where you want to go. Very poetic. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so this to me goes back to, I blame a lot of the way that we're educated. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll talk in classes about how I kind of feel like we mature up until like junior high school. And then a lot of people seem to spiritually get stuck in junior high school. And it's like, they can never find the exit out and Mm -hmm. you spend your whole life pretending to be an adult, but really you're still trapped in junior high school. And I kind of feel like improv, improv, I'm sure it doesn't have the only keys to this, but it certainly seems to teach people a way out of junior high school, a way to like move on with your life a little bit. I think that uh, this is such like a grotesquely broad generalization Mm -hmm. to make. So I don't mean to offend anybody who's listening to this, but I, I think a lot of people have learned to be so afraid of getting the wrong answer Mm. of being publicly humiliated in front of their peers have been treated like they're idiots have not had their own natural curiosity or natural desire to explore their surroundings Mm -hmm. fed. And, and you end up feeling very cut off and very isolated and very small and very kind of weak. You're not in touch with your own source of power, whatever that is for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people who live their lives in that place and can't either can't find a way out or don't realize that they're trapped anywhere, put a lot of, um, put a lot of stock in their own ego and their Mm -hmm. own self image. Yeah. And those are the people who you talk to at a party who are the (laughs) worst. They don't pick up on any jokes. They can't do bits. Right they're just like too much in their own way. And, and I, I find that in the community of improvisers, there's a really interesting warming effect that that mm-hmm. energy has on people where it begins to kind of like thaw the edges of your self image a little bit. Totally, And you can feel it when it's happening. Like, you yeah. can, like you're like, I feel myself being al- like allowing myself yes. to really like, even to just the idea of like moving your body in a weird yes, way. Totally. Like I'm allowing myself to act like a fool. Totally. And it feels so good. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It brings back, it gets you back in touch with that initial, just kind of like basic curiosity and playfulness. Sure. Cause then like the way kids learn, you're right. Like there's a thousand different ways that people learn. Yeah but they definitely learn through their bodies and their senses mm-hmm. and schools just prioritize shutting all that down, yeah. forcing you to sit in a tight, small, uncomfortable chair with a straight spine focused on these tiny fucking numbers in your notebook yeah. all day long. And they tell you like the minute you speak too loud, they tell you to be quiet. You're in trouble. Yeah. The minute you like, like have a, like a burst of like, if something excites you in a classroom and you have a burst of like wanting to talk about that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And you're just like, great. So I'm going to shut, suppress all this, shut it down. Yeah. And then like, Oh, there's, Oh, oh my God, Lewis, we could talk about this for hours, but like, it's, you get a, like, yeah. Improv like allows you to kind of let that, let that go, yeah. let that out. And, uh, yeah, I could feel that. I rem- like, I, like I've been saying like, since I didn't start like really fully like coming like into Liz Migliaccio 
until I would say like maybe three years ago when I left television mm. and then started to like, really like I dove super deep into improv. I think I was taking like, like maybe five classes a week or mm. something like a, like a, a decent amount of improv. And I was like loving every moment of it because I could really just like all the things that I had to shut down, I was able to just like let out and it, yeah, it's, it, you move like a silly idiot again, the yeah. way, the way that you're like supposed to, there, yeah. there is like a second childhood with improvisers. There's, you see, you yeah. see with everybody who sticks with it long enough. Totally. And like, it's wonderful. Like I, I, I no one should ever lose that childlike quality. And yeah. like, that's, it's, no one should ever lose the ability to kind of like do the Phoebe run from friends uh-huh. where you're like, you run like an idiot and you like, it's, it's very important. And I, you know, I see like so many of my friends who haven't done, like who are very, yeah, I guess you would say exactly what you were saying, who just like you, you see them and you talk to them and uh, you hang out with them and you just, you sense that they, they haven't like, they haven't, they haven't twitched, you know? Yeah. There, there's a, there's a very like deadening fear Mm -hmm. in a lot of people and it it really does like it, it ices them over. It causes them to judge a lot too. And I think it's because they're, they, they anticipate themselves being judged big time. And it's not, uh, you don't realize how little you judge people and, you know, I mean, I, you know, everyone judges people, but like it really cuts back and people, you let people be their weird selves. And, but there's a difference in like, you can't, you, I don't feel that bad about judging people. You don't. <laughs> I, I, I judge people with a kind of like, um, open palm, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I got a lot of judgments, a lot of internal criticism, but yeah. I don't take any of them too seriously. And mm-hmm. I don't really nail anybody to my judgment. It's just, I, yeah. I just kind of know that like, well, I guess being a human being means that I love gossiping and, <laughs> and I love judging other yeah. people. It's wonderful. There's also like, I read this thing like once, like a while ago and I'm probably going to butcher it, but like, uh, people who are attempt to be empathetic, yeah. uh, they can like feel like a, it's kind of like that psychopath thing where they can feel like a twitch or something like feel a a sense that like somebody is being inauthentic yeah. and it's very hard for that person to like really an empathetic person to really like reach out and talk to that yeah. empathetic person. They don't understand why everyone else is able to do it. Um, which I always thought was kind of an interesting thing. That, that makes that sense. You can really tell when someone's being in, inauthentic to who they are Yeah, and like it's, it's off putting. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I judge that too. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, it's fine. It's, we, yeah. we judge each other. That, yeah. that is what it is. It's human nature. But there's another <laughs> kind of judgment it's a little bit more of a paralyzing kind of judgment. Mm-hmm. And you sense it on people who were kind of um, stuck in junior high school. Yeah. there. It's a judgment that that is also married with this kind of fear of raising their hand or making an excited noise or looking like an idiot yeah. or, or actually. I, so many people are so afraid to share their enthusiasms mm-hmm. because somewhere along the line you just learned that you're, a fucking lame ass if you're enthusiastic about anything. Right. Either other kids judge you and, and laugh at you mercilessly mm-hmm. or adults shame you for it or whatever it is, but you just kind of learn yeah. it's bad to be enthusiastic. And so many people have just learned to like detach and not even be aware of what they're enthusiastic about. Right. And you have to rediscover it, relearn that. You do. That's where the community comes in mm-hmm. so well because it, it it's not... I don't think that it is all like love and support and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of people talk about it that way, but I don't think that's entirely what it is. I don't think that's a fair representation of what mm-hmm. it feels like to be an improviser, but it is this thing of you kind of learn to be less and less afraid mm-hmm. of who you are. Yeah. You kind of learn that actually your strength is in the thing that is weird and funky about you mm-hmm. and that you learn the art of how to like celebrate your own weird, funky thing and realize that you can get that it, in laughter, 
also comes a kind of celebration, not yeah. just like a merciless putting of you down, but also like a, a, a lifting of you up. You find a, you find an integrity in your own personal stupidity. Whatever yeah. <laughs> and I think that when the kind of like your own like ego or self image begins to thaw out a little bit, it yeah. becomes a little bit more flexible and a little bit more open. And you find that it's easier to be intimate with other people. Yeah. I think so many of the muggles. Ugh, I love that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Harry Potter is the best. <laughs> I've actually never read it, but I know enough. Are you kidding? No, I know. Rick, Rick of all people is, is on my case all the time. To read I it. read it like a year and a half ago, yeah. like the whole thing or yeah. I, it's a lie. I like started book one and two, maybe four years ago. Yeah. And then I was like, Ugh, it's so childish. And then I like read book three and then like I read book four yeah. and then I couldn't stop. This is what I've heard. Yeah. Right, I'll get to it. It's, but great use of the word muggles. You know Thank exactly you. what you're talking about. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think that a lot of the muggles equate intimacy with some kind of like intense relationship or sex or something. Yeah. So there's a kind of, and again, I'm being so fucking broad. I apologize. No. But I think that there's this kind of, you want intimacy, you need intimacy. You need to feel who you are in relationship to others. I mean, you need that feeling of mind, yeah. minds touching. To me, that's how I like envision intimacy. That's exactly how I do too. It's not, yeah, it's very, um, I'm going to like twist up because like I, when I get like excited about something, my brain races yeah, yeah, like yeah, a please. thousand miles per hour. Uh, but yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Like, yeah, minds touching, like realizing like that two people can be together and like share, like you, you're on the same page about something, even if you're completely taking it in separate directions. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, a, it's kind of like, I mean, the only way I can explain it is uh, when you just like shoot lasers out of your hands mm -hmm. and they actually makes contact with something and an action happens. Uh -huh. Does that make any sense? Sure, to you? totally. Yeah, <laughs> but I can that's see how it. I see it in my brain of like, sure. yeah, that's in, like, yeah, I don't necessarily equate intimacy to like a romantic relationship or sex. I think it very much is a a power, like a more of a power that happens between like two people, three people, four people, a community, and uh, it, it's when you're fully like allowed to be who you are, mm -hmm. and when you're fully allowed to. Uh, feel comfortable like saying something that might be completely stupid, completely wrong. And it, you're right. It's like not, it's very broad or like wishy-washy to be able to say like community is about love and support. Like it's, it is, but it's also like, there's a lot more like little, I'm using a lot of hand motions, but like the lot more little strings that kind of fall off of each of those that mean very separate things. And it might not be love and support in a specific form of that, but that might be what you need to mm -hmm. reach intimacy. You know, I agree with that. Yeah. It, the way I envision it, I think of it as like every person carries their own like atmosphere around mm -hmm. them. And it's like when your atmosphere and my atmosphere like overlap and yeah. connect with each other in that it's like a Venn diagram a little bit in mm -hmm. the place where they connect it, it, there's like um, little things like floating around in that atmosphere that like I couldn't see until my atmosphere touched your atmosphere. Right. And that lit up a little bit. Yeah. Like one, what are those like little plankton that light up in the ocean? I don't know, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Suddenly you see they were invisible and now suddenly there they are. Yeah. And that's that thrill of all of a sudden when your minds are touching, you're both channeling, you're smart in a way. There's like, a, there's smart and, and there's a, this kind of like electric current. Yeah. That, that in a way that you're even surprised by like how much shit you know or how much right. you have an opinion about or or how deep some of this stuff runs inside of you. Exactly, yeah. How much your mind starts racing when you totally. get like totally into it. Yeah. Totally. So I think that loving feeling of community is an important step in thawing mm -hmm. the thing that's preventing you from, from making that connection with other yeah. people. 
but it, it I, I do think one thing you get from from improv is you practice intimacy mm-hmm. because you actually have to practice being sincere in, in your scenes and you yeah. have to practice having moments and scenes where you're holding the moment mm-hmm. that you're constantly practicing not only how to have bigger emotional experiences, but also how to be quiet and create that space for another person to be heard. Yeah. And you practice it in this really goofy, dumbass setting for your mm-hmm. stupid shows that are about butts and whatever your show happens to be about. <laughs> Always butts. Always butts. But then <laughs> it, it starts to like carry over into the way that you just sort of carry yourself in mm-hmm. real life too. You, you, you find that it's easier. That's why you can just be sitting in the back of the training center between classes. Yeah. And in five minutes have a much more intense conversation with someone in the level two class who you yeah. just met than at a party with, with, um, a banker. Right. And not to knock bankers, but, but you know what I mean? mean? Do you want to be at a party with bankers? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't mind. <laughs> bankers are fine. I don't, I'm not judging anyone who's a banker, but yeah. you know, like the person, it's cool to talk about the economy for mm-hmm. like 10 minutes. Yeah, that's like, I, 10 minutes pushing it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I could handle like five and then I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. But like the kind of person who it's like, they got nothing else to talk right. about. And, and those are the people like in charge of everything. Yeah. Those are the people who are driven to be in charge of everything. Have you noticed that the people who like run everything are the most dull, colorless, lifeless, boring fucking people? Right. They have no. How how did you get this far? Like, because to me, it's baffling. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a pathological drive. I think that their wounds run so deep that Mm. they their entire careers become these like um, booster rockets that like send them just up. straight up, <laughs> but a- away from. Yeah. There's no trees when you're that far up. There's exactly no ex- yeah. right. To take it back. Interestingly, oh, this wraps in very nicely. Uh, I'm into it. <laughs> Not your brother-in-law, but your sister's fiance. Is my sister's right? fiance, which is soon to be my brother-in-law. Great. In That's like exciting. three weeks. I know. Ooh, congratulations mm-hmm. to you and yours. Oh, thanks. Yeah. My sister. <laughs> that, you know, growing up in such a way where you can tell which mountain is which by just looking at the top of the mountain. Yeah. I think, and I'm not speaking from experience here, so this is me like romanticizing, Mm -hmm. but there must be a respect for the world around you Mm -hmm. involved in that. Yeah. Because when these mountains have personalities of their own, Mm -hmm. you must experience yourself differently than I'm experiencing myself. You must experience Mm -hmm. yourself as being part of a larger whole. Mm Mm-hmm. And these dumbasses who are having their booster rockets that are going straight up way past the trees and the mountains, yeah. they're clearly, those booster rockets are playing some kind of important role to take them away from whatever pain or embarrassment yeah, they're suffering. Yeah, whatever real intimacy. Whatever real intimacy. I think a lot of our great leaders are like wicked stuck in junior high school. Oh, and they just act like junior high school bullies and that's their entire posture towards life. Yeah, and they're probably like super bummed about it too. You know, some no level. one likes junior high school. And if you do, then you're probably stuck there and it sure. probably sucks for everybody around you. Absolutely, which is probably why some of these people feel so driven to just just yeah. be bullies all the time yeah. because that's your sense of strength is that you get to be a bully. Ugh. But also when you have this booster rocket that's so pathologically, you need to be up in the stratosphere. You need to be top dog. You mm-hmm. need to be top of the pack. It takes you so far up that you can't even see the mountaintops and the treetops. Yeah. Along with that is this kind of eerie, gross, abstract <laughs> disrespect for the world around you where like right. you don't, you, you're perfectly fine being the kind of person who would deny climate change. Right. I was about to say climate change and I was like, I think he's coming around to that, but yeah, it's like you, 
your, your booster rocket is sending emissions into this world and you don't even care. Yeah. You don't give a shit. Yeah. Ugh. Cause it's like a, yeah. When, it's like these people do they even have, they even actually ever spent time in like really in nature and nature. We live in New York city, but there's nature here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I run all the time and I run into the parks and I run to like on, uh, on the river sides and stuff. And there's nature there. There's real nature that you can connect with on a level that isn't like full nature, but it's Right. It's, not, it's not wilderness. It's but. not wilderness, but there's like park, uh, prospect park is beautiful. It's so beautiful. And there's like little forests that you can walk through and like little paths that are really wonderful to get lost in. But you find that like, do these people like actually just even just stand there, you know, even on the grass in like Washington DC and yeah. like realize that this is like an important, like this is kind of a nice, really like deep thing. Yeah. It's not that it's not that hard. Just go walk into nature. <laughs> And then to be like fully affected by it. I mean, maybe it is hard for people stuck in junior high, but nature can affect you. It affects me. I Like I just was in Vermont last weekend, this yeah. past weekend, and it was raining and we were on like a ski slope that was closed, obviously, because it's not snowing. And it was full of mud and waterfalls and trees. And it was so affecting. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, you breathe better for like suddenly like a deep breath matters. It was very very chain, yeah. It's very important. I just came back from Camp Magnet. I know. I, I saw the photos. Those things look. That place is a mess. Like the stars are so out when you look at up at the sky. Oh man! And this year, this is my fourth year. Yeah. This was the best, oh, best year for skies. Yeah. Um, we had just like these deep blue skies every mm-hmm. day, and then the stars were were right there oh every God. night. It was really beautiful. And that's a moment to make you feel like like really close and intimate with the earth because like suddenly you feel like you and everybody else around you are very, very small. Like it's so cliche to say like when you look up at the sky and you feel like, oh, we're all very tiny. But it's when you actually look up at the sky, that's the first thing you think of. Yeah. You're just like, oh, man, no wonder people say that all the time. Yeah, There's millions of stars. So cool there so like recently i've been very on this idea of um this kind of twin and i want to talk to you about being a twin or something. i was gonna say I'm, yeah yeah the, this twin thing of on the one hand um having like a really really poor self-image mm-hmm. and then on the other hand having this really grandiose bloated sense of your own self-importance. Mm-hmm. And I believe that those two, they're just two sides of exactly the same coin. Yeah. I think, so. go ahead. Finish no, your no, thought. Please, please. I was gonna say, I think sometimes like everyone has like deep, like self-confidence issues and like self-esteem issues and insecurities. Yeah. I think everyone else, like when they need to can find that like good, like healthy ego to like pull yourself up. And, yes. to, and I think like sometimes when you've been like shut down or rejected or, whether this be like from, from improv or from a job or from a relationship or something that has kind of knocked you like the wind out of your sails. It is so easy to let like these insecure person kind of take over and let you stay down. Yes. So sometimes like that healthy ego is good to cultivate. Agreed. But sometimes like, yeah, if you do it, like if, if anger sets in from any of those things, like sometimes your ego can turn from a healthy form to like a destructive form. And so you, it's, it's kind of cool. Like how do you balance these things that like, how do you, change the coin that you need. Um, I, I really like that yeah. idea of like healthy ego oh, yeah. versus toxic ego. Mm-hmm. I think that like that thing of like grandiosity, you know, is toxic ego. Yeah. Whereas I think that there's another dual coin. And mm-hmm. on that one, on one side of that is humility. Mm-hmm. 
really a kind of feeling of insignificance, but it's different from self um, criticism, self anger. Yeah. It's a genuine sense of humility. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of humility is this is a sense of dignity. Yeah. Which is very close to healthy ego, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have that grandiose thing of lying to yourself. Like yeah. the president, for example, <laughs> it clearly has a damaged, troubled ego. Yeah. There's real problems there. It's for just sure. a toxic dump in there. Yeah. I mean, right? his skin shows it like with the toxicity <laughs> inside looks, his he, body. He looks ill. He looks like, totally ill. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we all have a little president inside of us, mm-hmm. right? It's a tiny little president, tiny little, president tiny little hands. But when you're under the stars, every now and again, you feel that sense of humility. Yeah. And it's very different than a sense of um, self, uh, what's the word? Lack of self-esteem, lack yeah. of, it, it's this feeling of like, oh, I'm really nothing. But you're also part of it because yeah. you're there and you're experiencing it. And are yes. you- able to experience it. Yes. And this can happen. Like this is, I guess, again, a connection to nature that I think is an important for kids to be able to be outside yes. to develop a connection with nature. This happens for me a lot because I'm around the ocean a lot constantly when I'm around the ocean, you have a sense of like, this is so much bigger. You can be swallowed by the ocean. It's can be dangerous, but you're part of it. If you're like watching it and respecting it and it like respects you back, um, being around big mountains. I spent, uh, I went to Alaska a while ago and it was magnificent to see how tall the mountains were next to you and how vast the ocean was. And you're standing like one place and you see the ocean and you see these mountains and it's, yeah, you, you suddenly, yeah, feel humility and really good, um, sense of being a part of this earth, being on this earth and then wanting to make sure that this earth is like still there for you yeah. <laughs> later. Yeah. And so then you recycle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. A lack of self-respect also lack of genuine self-respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, also plays out in lack of respect of your surroundings too. And and what I believe it is, I believe it's the inability to experience respect. Mm -hmm. I think that there are some people who they interpret respect means you show me reverence because I'm higher than you on the pecking order. That's respect. Yeah. And along with that respect is always this like inbuilt anger of, I need to take down whoever's above me so that I can be on the next rank. Yeah. I think that it's an inability to actually experience respect. And I still put the blame at the crippled mind, the, 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 the crippled natural curiosity, because Mm -hmm. in, in my estimation, like our natural state, our healthy functioning, optimal state. Yeah. Each of us is able to straddle that place where, on the one hand, there's genuine dignity mm-hmm. and self-respect, and a, and a healthy sense of who we are. Yeah, a healthy sense of being able to to have that no in there as mm-hmm. well, and say no, this is who I am, this is what I want. Right. And then on the other hand, you're straddling that other side, which is genuine humility and mm-hmm. this feeling of of I'm an insignificant part. Right. Of a large unfolding mystery, uh, 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 a completely unfathomable mystery that no yeah. one's able to explain, of which I'm a part of, but only a part. Mm-hmm. And I think that w- both of those come down to respect. Yeah. And I think also respect and a willingness. And I think maybe this is kind of like respect that there's a two sided coin to like, or not even a two sided coin. Respect is like a sense of being open. Mm-hmm. To change, being mm-hmm. open to somebody else's ideas, being open to someone else, possibly influencing your self, uh, sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are things that help to build that sense of respect. If that makes, does that make sense? It makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. yeah. I, it, you know, it, it, that I think 
fear of death has something to do with that. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned like being open to change mm-hmm. because I think that there is like an element of uh, uh, death is a very kind of unspoken un. We don't face it. It's scary. Yeah. (laughs) But as it should be, but Mm -hmm. a lot, it's like that ocean too. Yeah. It it, it like, it's terrifying, Mm -hmm. but it also deserves its own respect too. It it also has its place in, in like the larger fabric of things. Have you ever almost drowned? Um, not really. Okay. But it felt enough like it at the time that it was that. Sure. I'm like, I, I, to me, like anytime you feel like you're being swallowed by the ocean, you're drowning. Um, and it's like happened several times and each time you come out and you get out of the water and you're like, right now I need to respect the ocean. Yeah, It's like a, it's a moment where you're just like that. I took it too far. Totally. I was definitely playing where I shouldn't have been playing. Totally. Yeah. Respect and Mm -hmm. fear and kind of awe. Yeah. Oh, it's such awe. Yeah. It's happened. Like, um, there was like several, like I, fell off the boat once. I sound so snooty. I fell off the boat um, and I got trapped between a boat and dock. Um, Jesus. I know. And it was uh, terrifying. It was like when I was really young and I was pulled out. I wasn't, I might've been wearing a life jacket. I'm not sure, but either way I was stuck and I got pulled out. I just remember like, it's kind of like a, a blur in a bunch because I was very young, but I remember like that might've been the first time that I like really felt surprisingly comfortable in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And also because I think at that point, like we had developed a bond, me and the ocean, mm-hmm. because it almost killed me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was very young. And then, so like from that point on, like there was always a sense of knowing that I like boundaries with the ocean. That makes sense to me there, mm-hmm. there because there's an exchange there. Yeah. And it, to me, it almost feels like there's a relationship there mm-hmm. when you're stuck in toxic ego place. Yeah. The world is just like an amusement park. It's there to amuse you. You can do whatever you want with it. It's mm-hmm. not a th- real thing. You don't have a relationship to it. It's just a ride that you can fucking throw yeah. your garbage on and and whatever. And and like an amusement park, you get easily bored by shit. Yeah. And then when you get easily bored, you become restless and you start looking for more perverse methods to entertain yourself, which yeah. frequently includes being fucking horrible to other people. Yeah, destruction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so th- that sense of there being like an, an encounter yeah. with you in the ocean makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And the sense of that encounter also- not only being very frightening, but also having creating this weird sense of being comfortable in it too yeah. makes a lot of sense. There's a mutuality there. Mm-hmm. We could talk about this shit all, all day. fucking day. <laughs> Me too. Um, but we don't have all day. Oh, man. <laughs> I do want to talk about a couple of other things. I sure. want to talk about you are no certified yoga teacher. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. It was very, very, very fun and very, uh, it's like a whole thing of self, and more self-discovery. I'm yeah. big into figuring out who I am all yeah. the time because it changes. <laughs> the theme of this conversation seems to be mm-hmm. teaching and education yep. and uh, 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 learning our body and feeling okay with our body, moving our body, yeah. uh, uh, our body being our, our best friend and our tool with which we're able to totally. explore the world and figure out who we are and figure out other people and be open yeah. to encounters and have a living relationship with other people. It's true. It's so funny that you say that because like what, one of the biggest things that I've been super interested in with yoga and I think the same, like I run a lot and uh, I'd like to cook. I think all of it blends together with, I just want people to like their, their bodies to be able to constantly still move Yeah, uh, because it's important. Like uh, whether that be through yoga or dance or running or moving weirdly on an improv stage, yeah. like you need to like eat properly to f- fuel your body to like fix it. Like whether it's be like 
uh, like anti-inflammation or like, like avocados are the most amazing thing for feeling better. Uh, and then just to like move in a way that's not going to harm you so that you can still move when you're 90 years old and you want to dance. <laughs> I, I'll say, cause I also, uh, uh, feel very passionately about yoga. It mm-hmm. also took, yeah. took a strong hold on me and it, uh, two, two, it, it definitely does. Mm-hmm. Two things that come to mind from that one, um, I frequent, uh, a lot of the Yangar classes. Yeah. I actually, um, had a panic attack in the Yangar class. Really? Yeah. In what pose? Um, the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I would like had gone into it with like, um, a lot in my head. Yeah. And then when that happens, like the minute we started to like breathe, like yoga can tend to like bring out, I used to be so stoic, Lewis. I used to be able to never cry. <laughs> and then like with yoga teacher training and like letting feelings happen, improv, like all these things about being vulnerable, like I've been, it, like, it can happen. It can trigger anything. And so we started, we started doing like cat, like maybe it was cat cow or something. I don't remember. I kind of like I panic attacked and yeah. I started to like cry and I had to leave. Well, panic so that attacks was the only I anger class. That I well, fair enough. <laughs> but tell me more. It doesn't always happen. Panic, yeah. attack, panic attacks are not good, but no. why would you not want to cry? I know. <laughs> crying, crying and sadness. It's it, wonderful now. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, it, Brings like resonance to your mm-hmm. life, doesn't it? it, it yeah. there, there's subtler shadings to things when you are able to cry and anyway. anyway. Yeah. So so I f- I frequent a Yangar classes mm-hmm. a lot and uh, um, there's a lot of older people in these Yangar classes yeah. and they're like fucking beautiful. Yeah. I mean they look. They move their great. bodies. Yeah, because you're holding poses for a little while, right? Yeah. It's, uh, um, there's like a uh, Kula has like an Iyengar class that mm-hmm. is supposed to be on point. That's the one I was in. Yeah. I wish I had finished it, <laughs> but, um, it's, yeah, people move in a way because it's, it's builds so much strength. Yeah. And, and there, there's a, 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 a lightness and a youthfulness mm-hmm. that's there. I, I think the thing that I like about yoga is, um, it, it it's for every body type. Totally. It, it, you're not like reshaping your body to look like someone else's body type. It's for every body type. Yeah. And it, it, it seems to unlock the kind of natural dignity to every person's unique body. Yeah. And when you see people who practice yoga a lot, um, they carry themselves with that kind of dignity to it. And, yeah. and they're like, there's a, there's a beautifulness there as well. Mm-hmm. You see people moving their bodies really well. And yeah. you see people who like, I don't know, some people in the classes I do who are in the sixties, maybe seventies, Mm. who move fluidly and have great spines and yeah. like, yeah, I want that. Right. I, I do not want the old, the old mm-hmm. calcified body. Like the crypt keeper from tales from the crypt. Right. That's yeah. The TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. Cause like, uh, sometimes I feel like you can injure yourself in yoga. Sure. And, uh, like I also work at a physical therapist office and I've become very interested in like how to not be injured. Um, and like I have, uh, I've overstretched my hamstrings mm-hmm. from teacher training cause mm-hmm. I did lots of yoga mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm, I can be flexible. I'm going to keep pushing it. But my hamstrings are like, stop. Um, and so like I've become super good friends with the block and, um, but it's cool because each body is a unique way of moving. Some people are less flexible. So like I have a lot of strength. I can go up into arm balances. I can do inversions. That's no big deal. Mm-hmm. I cannot do Hanuman like, or the, when you fold over your legs, mm-hmm. forward folds are tough. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that like some people can do different postures, uh, postures and can get into different poses. And it's, um, when you injure yourself is when you're trying to do what the body next to you is doing versus mm-hmm. what you're doing for you. Right. And I think once you kind of get over that hump is when you start to move for you and in yoga and it becomes like, then you start to move and you look beautiful doing it. Yes. 
It's very, very pretty. The, that's why I like Iyengar classes a lot mm-hmm. is because they're, they, they're like almost scientific in, in the particularity mm-hmm. with which you're paying attention to like every part of your body. Yeah. Uh, um, to the point where it's like fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. But, but there is an interesting thing of you, you focus less and less on what other people are doing and you start to right. notice more and more and you're able to like deepen certain stretches. Mm-hmm. So it was like amazing to me of like, oh, you can get, I can get deeply into this pose if I notice my toes right now. My toes have yeah. nothing to do with this pose. Right. But you think about it and like that, how does like move, how does pushing into your big toe affect, like go up the chain, right. like this chain reaction up right. your body? Right. How does that affect your shoulders? Right. All of a sudden my thighs are moving in a different yeah. way. And yep, absolutely. It's um like, uh, I don't know too much about yin, but like uh, yin yoga does a lot a lot about you're holding postures for like, I guess like six minutes. It's so painful. It's I've yeah. But you, that's the point is like when you start, I don't know if that's the point actually, but when you're breathing into it or you're focusing, you go inward and see like where it affects your body. I have found that to be, so that's my second point about yoga. Yeah. I, years ago I was in a show that Tara Copeland, no, a show. I don't remember if it was a show that she was directing or a class that she was teaching. Did you mm-hmm. ever have Tara as a teacher? I didn't. Great teacher. Cool. And uh, she had it was asking, like, what do people want to work on? And I remember the thing that I said I wanted to work on was uh, I'm very confused with emotion. I kind of don't feel anything ever. <laughs> and I always get the note from teachers to, like, yeah. uh, um, be more emotional. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't really feel anything. So right. what do I do? And she went off on me. She, like, wasn't helpful at all. Right. She basically yelled at me for five minutes. And, I was like, but, and then you felt nothing. <laughs> and then I felt nothing. But that's actually something that, like, as I've been practicing yoga, mm-hmm. that experience of like, oh, I'm in a lot of pain right now. Yeah. And not emotional pain, physical pain. This fucking hurts. Yeah. And learning that trick of of beginning to like relate to that pain and see the pain as sensation instead of pain. Yeah. And I also, I really like a younger teachers will frequently say like, what information is that telling mm. you? What dialogue is taking place right now between your thigh and your, and your glutes or whatever. So cool. Yeah. And like learning to breathe into those feelings and reorient it from, okay, this is physical pain to this is sensation. Right. And this is listening to parts of my body that I normally just tune the fuck out, which by the way is going back to being in school and stuck at a fucking desk right. looking at your fucking paper and not using your body. So yeah. all I'm paying attention to is what's in front of my eyes and not listen to any fucking thing in my Shut body at all. Yeah. Uh, um, I suddenly started to find as I was improvising that like, it's not emotional feelings. I'm not like crying in shows or anything, but I started to notice of like, oh, the feelings are actually the sensations of what my body feels like. Yeah. And I had no access to it. It was happening and I was just like shutting it down completely. And when you let that in, like it makes it easy. Like it makes it almost feel effortless Mm -hmm. when you do react to something because it's coming from a certain part of your body. Mm -hmm. And then that reaction seems super authentic to the audience or even to yourself or even to your scene partner. Totally. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like I'm suddenly playing characters who have mm-hmm. this deep, deep, rich inner, I'm still pretty flat and, yeah. <laughs> and, and low key, but I will actually like feel things in my body and I have yeah. no idea what it's giving to the performance, but it, it's been kind of a shocking thing to realize I spent 30 years not paying attention to how my body physically felt. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I, I go to therapy. I think everybody should go to therapy. And uh, one thing my therapist has been like very adamant on in our work together is like trying to actually, cause I would shut down feelings also. I would like, um, I would run until I would go numb. Like if I was dealing with big problems, mm-hmm. I would just shut it down. Like didn't want to feel too much because it would be painful to feel, or you would like bring up old stuff or mm-hmm. you just wanted to keep it 
normal. And so we've been going and like a lot of it has to do with breathing, like hand on your heart, hand on your belly, take deep breaths. Where are you feeling this? And so like, uh, there was like a good, like six months where like I would take it, like if I felt something, I would take a breath and like notice where in my body that was placed. And so like, sometimes like, you know, you get the, the easy one of like, when you feel anxious, your shoulders go up mm-hmm. and then your shoulder hurting, your neck is hurting. And like, so that's always been like kind of an interesting thing is that like feelings actually take place in your body. Mm-hmm. And that's why they call them feelings. Right. That blew my mind, Lewis. <laughs> it blew my mind too. Yeah. I, I always thought of feelings as just, oh, they're emotions. It's, right. It's happy, sad, angry. Right. And, but there's so, and like, it takes like, uh, your heart might hurt and it feels deep or like you might feel like you've been gutted. Like they, you start to put actual yeah. words to these that might be like when you feel like you're in love and you're floating, like yes. that's a real thing when you yes. feel like, you know, you, you need a sense of like to feel grounded, you, yeah. need, you know, you root down. Even as we're talking, realizing how tight my jaw is all the time. Yeah. I play with my hands when I get nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got nothing more to say yeah. about it. It's just, <laughs> Uh, um, a delightful thing that seems to tie into this theme of kind of opening oh, yeah. yourself up. Though I do want to talk about this to yes. starting to teach yoga. Mm-hmm. I have found that much like improv classes, in yoga classes, some teachers, the teachers are not really saying different things. No. <laughs> Even if you go to like a vinyasa class or a, or a, or an Iyengar class or whatever, you, you'll get like different takes, but yeah. it's the same handful of things that you hear over and over again. But I have noticed that some teachers have this amazing ability where it's like an osmosis thing. Just by being in the room with them, suddenly my mind is clearer. Mm -hmm. I feel sharper. I'm more alert in my body. I'm able to hold things longer. I'm able to go deeper. There's less noise in my head. And somehow I'm catching it off the teacher. And then there are other teachers where there's a lot more noise in my head and I feel very busy. I'm not really concentrated. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot about what I'm going to have for lunch later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having arguments in my mind with whoever I'm judging right now, <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are about. I, I have some pretty specific theories about what a good improv teacher should do okay. to make improv accessible and to open people up to it. And I think it has a lot to do with that feeling of osmosis. Yeah. You get it as much from the person as you do from what they're saying. For sure. What's your take on yoga teaching? That's so much like, so there's, I have like, um, several teachers that I, I, I love and I go to all the time because for very similar reasons, like I am, I can focus better, Mm -hmm. which is uh, like being someone who has ADHD focus improv helps me focus in yoga too. If I can focus, like I'm on point, they help me focus. They help me feel like I'm going deeper into postures. I can, I move more fluid. I feel stronger. Uh, a lot of it has to do with like maybe the music that's being played, the voice that's coming out of the person, um, a sense of comfortability around that person. Like it really, like if you go to them a lot, you might feel stronger with that, uh, yoga teacher, uh, for, yeah. So like, I definitely, there's a handful of teachers that I try to go to all the time because it's where I feel like I'm doing my best yoga. Um, and they bring it out because that's, you know, they're good at what they do. And they also, it's a match for me for the yoga teacher world. Um, and I think improv there's matches too for like, depending on the time and the place that you're in, mm-hmm. um, in your life and like who speaks to you at that particular moment. There's also like a sense of like, there are some teachers who like, I, sometimes I feel like I don't necessarily perform really well in front of, mm-hmm. but when I leave there, I feel like I'm going to do better mm-hmm. because like in that sense of like, I want to impress them and have them be proud, uh, which may or may not be a good feeling, but you, that doesn't necessarily lead to the best improv when you're trying. Right. To be 
good or trying to make someone proud of you, but they push you to do better um, or to, to, to try more, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of going off track here, but no, I guess no. like, yeah, with, um, with improv teachers, it's, you want to feel comfortable. You want to be able to feel like, you know, you're not being judged that, uh, it's like, if, you know, I, I tend to get like a looser when I was taking classes, like when the teacher wouldn't be afraid to be like a little weirdo too. Yeah. Um, and there was always that. So. <laughs> I, I kind of look for in both sets of teachers, yoga and, and improv, the, the kind of a quality of like soft and firm. Mm-hmm. I like people who have, there's like a very mellow softness where you kind of feel like, Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. But then they themselves are not soft inside. There is this sense of, Oh, this person knows exactly what they're looking at. Yeah. And with the yoga teacher, it's always that thing where it's like, I feel very comfortable in this class, Mm -hmm. but then they'll come up and they'll just like stick their thumb in my back in such a way where it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) And their improv teachers are like that too. Armando is very much like that. Mm -hmm. Armando will really not say very much and right. will be very like, Oh, you know, two more. Oh, you know, that's okay. And you know, and <laughs> right you just kind of feel like, great. It's just very soft and who cares? Yeah. And then he'll, he'll like stop a scene at one point and be like, Oh, uh, you know, um, touch the cup, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you'll do the scene again and touch the cup and you'll be like, Holy yeah. shit. It's a sense of sim- simplicity, yeah. you know? Uh, I think like in, in the yoga teacher world, like we are like, they're saying a lot of the same stuff. The postures are like, there's only so many postures you can do, yeah. but there's a simplicity in like the, in, in the, the way that like the words roll out, the, like the, the mood that you're trying to set. Like there's, I've been so off put by yoga teachers who, um, like feel the need to do like a 15 minute Dharma talk in oh, which God. I don't, which like, there are some Dharma talks that I've that like really great, really great. Cause yeah. you don't think that they're a Dharma talk that yeah. seems very natural, yeah. simple and authentic. Yeah. And then there's somewhere I'm just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like you're, you're trying very hard to sound enlightened yes. or, you know, like, like, more so that you know what you're doing. You're trying to sound, I guess, like a, a better yogi. Yes. Um, and I guess that can happen in improv, like too, when you're getting coached or taught by somebody, if like there's simple notes, notes that like seem like anybody could not touch the cup. Mm-hmm. And it's not something about like being a good improviser or a bad improviser. It's just a note. They're like, what would happen mm-hmm. if you touched the cup? It'd be a simple, you know, there's, and like, how do you explain that? My favorite yoga teacher always talks about being curious about the poses. Yeah. She always talks about, you don't do the pose. You feel the pose. You don't get into the pose. You're curious about the pose. Yeah. My favorite teacher always says about exploration. Like how do you explore? Like, like use this time to like explore, move how you want to move Yeah, and then let that be enough. And I was always, I find that very helpful language. Um, and I find it very helpful in improv too. Mm -hmm. The, The directors who I really like working with tend to be people who, they just communicate more of this sense of it's like an open exploration mm-hmm. and you kind of have this feeling of like, it, it, there aren't wrong answers here. There, yeah. there isn't an out of bounds that I'm going to be penalized for. Mm-hmm. I'm being encouraged kind of like a kid. Yeah. It's not taking a test to get the right answer. It's you're being encouraged, like go outside and climb that tree. Right. See what see how right far you can how get. It feels. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's that sense of mm-hmm. like, it's a big experiment. Yeah. I, I don't know the answers. I'm, I'm going to meet you halfway. One of my favorite improv exercises or the one I think that like really changed my viewpoint on improv and like was, um, the one where you're an expert Mm -hmm. and it's, you get a top. And like, I remember the first time I was given this, like, they're like, so we're going to play this game. You're an expert. I was like, I am not an expert on anything. Like if anyone told me to like talk about world war two, I don't even know like 
1945. Like, what is the date? Like, I like all of these things about being wrong, about facts, about being like just not being an expert. And then it wasn't until I realized, like, oh, I can make it up and just act like I know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Um, that's sort of like plays into like, like not being wrong and the idea of like I, the first time I did that exercise, I like froze. And then uh, the teacher was just like, keep just like, just make it up and yeah. act like you're right. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I think, and to kind of tie it all back into, to the sense of community that we were talking yeah. about earlier, I think that even more than, than the kind of like a loving acceptance that you get. Cause mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't always experience loving acceptance, nor do I always attempt to communicate loving acceptance. <laughs> Not in that sense of like, you're great. Everything's yeah. great. And we're also positive. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it, to, to me, that's a little bit of a trap. Yeah. Um, But that sense of one thing that the community is really good at is creating a sense of like permission. Yeah. For you to not have answers mm-hmm. and permission for you to, that kind of enthusiasm you were talking about earlier of you're so excited. You got to raise your hand and jump up yeah. and you may not have the teacher's answer, but you got something. You've got a passion. You've got a, an idea. Yes. That's yeah. what the community in my mind provides is a permission for you to let that stuff out. And yeah. and you get back in touch again with that more multifaceted, curious part of yourself where it's like, Oh, I don't need to know all the dates about world war two. The right. 45 was the end of the war. So boom. Check it out. Oh, the end nice. of the war. I yeah. was not pretending it was the beginning of the war. No, no, no. You got it. Everyone. Cool. It's, um, it's part of the war. <laughs> also the war ended at different times in different places. You know? Excellent. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I think I said my piece on that. Yeah. I think that can, yeah, I think that's the idea to have permission. And I think it works in yoga. I think it works in, um, in improv. It's the permission to be able to explore your own ideas, your own body, your own thoughts, your own breath, your own yeah. movement. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good place to end the conversation. Okay. However, <laughs> yes. I didn't notice I've mentioned twins a bunch of times and yes. I'd be remiss to not ask. Oh my God. What's it like to be a twin? It Are is, you an identical twin? No, we're fraternal. She's right. like about half a head taller than me, dark yeah. brown hair. Yeah. She's got my mother's Irish features. So she's longer and mm-hmm. like, and I've got my dad's like Sicilian features. I think we're not Sicilian, but still mm-hmm. we're like off the coast. Okay. Um, but, uh, it's, it's pretty magnificent to be a twin because you kind of came into this world with your best friend, mm-hmm. someone who, again, you have permission to be exactly who you are and to be, to explore other identities and then completely be accepted when you like bail on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're allowed to kind of fuck up and still always be loved. It's kind of amazing. Uh, and yeah, she's, wow, well, she's my best friend. She's the one getting married. So I'm like, oh, you're sort of like sharing. We're sharing now, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she's kind of the best thing ever. She's an environmental lawyer, so she wants to save the world too and the earth. And she's kind of awesome. <sighs> she's yeah. doing God's work. She is. She's really magnificent. <laughs> Congratulations to you and your family. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Liz Migliaccio, this has been just Thank the most you. delightful oh, of Lewis conversations. Cornfield. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for doing that. Plug away, Liz. Plug away. Oh, God. What should I say? Um, let's see. Uh, what am I plugging? I guess Avalanche on Wednesday nights. Hell yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a wonderful team. I love every single person on that. Um, and I'd say my indie team, Lack Lobster, who is uh, like uh, wonderful. It's a good, if we're doing a show, come see it because it's just watching friends play. It's Kick really ass. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's really fun. But if you're uh, looking to get away into Costa Rica in January, you should come on the comedy retreat. It's really <laughs> blast. I'm cooking for it. It's going to be so much fun. We didn't even bother getting into cooking. Or, I know. Or That's Costa fine. Rica. I think what we talked about was 
pretty beautiful. It tied together pretty nicely. I, I think, think so. We'll just have to do a part two. I know there's this full circle Venn diagram. We can get into that. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, where can people find out more information about the Costa Rica trip? Uh, I think you can, uh, we have a Facebook group. It's called happy soul, or you can, uh, send Emily Shapiro a Facebook message or an email and, or just talk to me or talk to her and talk to anybody who's gone on it. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Liz Migliaccio, folks. Thanks so much, Liz. Yay, thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. A couple of other big thank yous, of course, to today's engineer and our producer, Evan Ford Barden, to Ed Herbstman, our executive producer, and to all of the good, kind, fine folks here in the New York City improvisational community. And you know what? I'm going to cast that net even wider and say to all of you good, kind, fine folks in the improvisational community nationwide. Hell, why stop there? Globally even. (laughs) If you're listening to this, we like you and you are cool. So thank you for listening to it. Even if you're not listening to it, we like you too. You just have no way of knowing that. If you enjoyed the (laughs) podcast, please mention us on social media. That would be great. Give us a positive shout out or a review or whatever that is on whatever. And that's great too. Thanks for listening. Am I missing anything? You want to plug in there? Great. Fabulous. All right. That's the show. Thanks everyone. Thanks Liz. Yay. Bye. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by The Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.